Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Educated Home Buyer Live. It is Thanksgiving Eve, so Josh and I want to wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving to start uh, and talk a little bit about economics, talk a little bit about what's happening right now in the housing market so that you can become the educated home buyer as we move into 2024. So this past week, Josh, not really a lot of news over the last couple of days, rather. Um, just yeah, home sales coming in at, what, a 13-year low, existing home sales coming in quite a bit lower than expected. Uh, outside of that, rates are continuing to improve a little bit. The 10 years kind of, you know, grinding lower like we've discussed. Um, but overall, we're starting to see, I think, that top-end inventory and inventory is likely going to continue moving down through the rest of the year. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Well, Jeb, I just want to know, is is this the, are we getting to see you in the new environment? Is this the new home, the Smith home that we're seeing in the background here? This this is uh, uh, my office uh, slash fourth bedroom. So that's a Murphy bed behind me. That's where my mother-in-law sleeps when uh, when she comes in. It's also going to be kind of a playroom for the kids. But yeah, it's uh, I was lazy, didn't want to go back in the office. I'm trying to build a, a slat wall in my garage and... Uh, you know, I didn't feel like uh, going back in. So this is this is the environment for today, but not going for Is the new Smith household hosting Thanksgiving this week? We are not. Um, we have we we are we are going to the in-laws. We are going to pick up and leave, which is going to be nice and uh, not have to worry about cleanup or any of that good stuff. The Lewis's are going to the restaurant, so we don't have to deal with that either. <laughs> it's very, very smart. Uh, yeah, so. We're going to dive into some charts like we always do, guys. We're going to answer your questions, you know, to kind of keep things moving along. I realize it's a holiday, probably a lighter, you know, episode with regards to the number of people showing up just because people have things to do. Uh, they're out mingling with family and friends and doing all the things that they should be doing. Uh, um, you know, not necessarily should be doing, but, you know, we're, we're not uh, we're not, you know, disappointed because you're out enjoying those family and friends. There's there's a lot to be grateful for this year. And uh, you should celebrate that. So, Josh, let's do what we always do here and dive into some charts and start with inventory like uh, like normal. So inventory, again, uh, kind of went up week over week. I think we saw about 3,500 homes added to the market. So we haven't really seen that peak in inventory nationwide quite yet. Uh, my guess is we're probably going to see the numbers trickle lower next week. But for now, we're still seeing the numbers a little bit higher. So sitting at 570,000 this week, last year, we actually saw inventory move down. So at this point today, we actually have more inventory on the market than we did this time last year. So this is the first time all year that we've actually above 2022 levels. Um, with that, Orange County inventory actually declined. We're down to 2,321 homes. And Huntington Beach sitting at 191, which is also less than last week. So the inventory here locally, my guess is probably reached that peak. Uh, but we're going to know here in a couple of weeks as we uh, we get more data. Uh, again, just another variation of the same chart that we just looked at there, just showing you know kind of that that his historic uh, chart going back to 2018, 2019. There, just showing where inventory was in a more normal market compared to where it is today. New listings data. So new listings data is continuing to move downward. Um, and so anybody out there talking about 
foreclosures coming to the market, Airbnb is crashing the market, all of that coming, you know, as Logan says on housing or it's going to report in this chart before it reports, before you see anything, right? It's going to show up in the new listings data. And the reality is new listings aren't coming to the market and probably going to continue that decline throughout the remainder of the year. Um, this is our week over week chart. As we look at last year, we went from 566.941 to 566.898. Um, same week last year, we actually went from 572 to 569, 571. So that's that difference. And we're a little bit higher this year. Uh, and our peak right now is at 569. So this is the highest that we've been all year. Um, but hopefully, my guess is probably the peak in inventory. Well, actually, not even hopefully. I, I mean, I'd like to see more inventory, Josh. I think it's a good thing inventory coming to the market, but the reality is I don't think that's going to happen through the seasonal um, holidays, you know, that we, that we normally see. Well, it's, it's interesting, Jeb, Logan, you mentioned Logan, Logan talks a lot about yeah. wanting to see more inventory coming to the market, see those numbers trending up and it's a double-edged sword. We're, we're way below what is normal, but as you said, the kind of the first sign of things normalizing, and if they were to worsen and you were to see a big increase in inventory above and beyond what the current market demand requires, it's going to be the first place. So it is to get to a more normal market. That is what, one of the first signs that we want to see, but it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts if and when it does tick up. Agreed. Uh, so this is a chart looking at total home sales, uh, contracts pending. So we're still trending a, a little bit lower than we were last year. And this is you know, again, rates are higher than they were last year. So the fact that, you know, we're even anywhere close to where we are this last year with the number of contracts pending is somewhat of a surprise, but understand where it's a really low bar. I mean, we're talking, you know, compared to two years ago, this is a very, very low number um, that we're basing this off of. New listings versus immediate sales. Uh, what you can see here, new listings coming to the market about where we were last year, maybe a little bit less. Um, and then, you know, immediate sales, uh, you know, more or less the same um, compared to where we were last year uh, with rates, again, a little bit higher than where they were in inventory, more or less the same. Um, price drops sitting somewhere around 39% compared to 43% last year. And then we talk about the 10-year, right? The 10-year mortgage rates tend to follow this 10-year. And what we've seen is that 10-year hit somewhere close to 5% or just over 5%. And now we're back under 4.4 4 today. Josh, did we close under 4.4? 4? No, right above. Right above 4.4. 4. So, um, you know, that that will be the next thing that we really start to watch. What happened to your chart here, bro? I don't know, man. I did not get it moved over. What a, what a faux pas on my part. I apologize. I'm off my game for the holiday here. Um, basically, that's the chart I like to show you guys just week over week. Shows we were down 0.08%. So 448 last week, 440 closing today. So um, nice continued move, as Jeb said, in the right direction. But at the end of the day, less than an eighth of a percent difference. Um, like to show, zoom out and show the some context here. Just that is from March, that big long run up. And then we have seen uh, a dip or a turnaround here. Um, but until we see something bigger in that bigger context, uh, we still need to be skeptical. We need to be skeptical of a reversal. It's looking good. It's looking positive, but we haven't seen enough to break out of that long-term range that we've been over the last couple of years. Um, showed Jeb that I made a discovery today. I was actually looking for the Optimal Blue Mortgage Market Index and found that Fred pulls that data in now. We've talked about the spreads between 10 years and mortgage rates and that I don't like that we measure it against the Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey because that figure only comes out once a week and it's generally out of date. So that lag makes it a little inaccurate. What we see here is that this is optimal blue data that's accurate to within a day and 10-year treasury data probably also accurate to within a day. So we're well under 3%, still above 2.9. Wanted to show just in the last year alone, back in February, we got all the way down to two and a half. People talk about, oh, this is the new normal. We're gonna see spreads of 3%. It is not the new normal. We may not go back to the old normal of that one seven, but somewhere between two and two and a half is a reasonable new normal. And as we approach that, even without the 10 year going down, we should see mortgage rates improve. Um, Jeb, you sent over this chart in an email this week and it actually kind of dovetailed with the next chart I'm gonna show, um, household debt service ratios. So we talk about, hey, US consumer is stressed, household debt service ratios. Well, if we look at this globally, 
two things here. Look at the silver line that is the United States and look back at 2006, 2007, before the Great Recession, we were at 11, 12% of income going to household debt service. And we are down, we had bottomed out at about 7%, still below 8%. But compared to the UK, to Sweden, to Canada, to Australia, all of those countries are higher. And if you look at you know, Sweden, South Korea, Canada, Australia, what I would bet is the common denominator there is that they do not have 30-year fixed mortgage rates. So when you see the adjustable rates that most of the world have, when we have a move like we saw in the last year, that's what they end up seeing and, and dealing with. So this, uh, again, just another look at, at the chart here. And the cool part is the green line shows the share of debt that is an adjustable percentage. And that is pretty much consumer credit card debt. Your credit card, I mean, your most auto loans are fixed. Most mortgages are fixed. Most installment loans, when you take them out, are fixed. So other than lines of credit and, and credit cards, everything here in the U.S. Is, is fixed. And it shows that is why, despite the Fed hiking rates aggressively, we haven't seen the consumer react all that negatively yet. So um, I'm just going to read this real quick because this commentary nails it on the head. What seems to have happened is that many U.S. households deleveraged after the recession. Further, the green line shows many were able to shift their debt burden into fixed rate loans at historically low rates. So the Fed's tightening had less effect than it would have 15 or 20 years ago. The same is true for businesses. One segment that hasn't deleveraged is the federal government. We go through this chart here every week. Jeb borrowed more and more and more, and they borrowed at short term at variable rates. And that not only is the debt at a higher level, it's ratcheting up due to the variable nature of the way they financed it. This was another chart just wanted to show. We had continuing claims today. Uh, they were actually down a little bit over the last two weeks. But if you look at the four-week moving average, it's definitely trended up here. So that can be a canary in the coal mine of increasing unemployment rates going forward. I've heard, Jeb, and I'm sure you have from experts on both sides of the aisle, people saying changing demographics, we're never going to have high unemployment ever again. And then uh, Daniel DiMartino Booth, an expert that I, I trust and respect and admire, Listen to an interview with her this week, and she's unemployment's going through the roof. You got to be careful. You're going to lose your job. Um, I don't necessarily agree with her. I don't agree that it's not going to be an issue either, but that's a chart that we want to watch going forward. This one, Jeb, I, I put this in here for, for your benefit because uh, we, we had from an episode of the podcast, you made a comment on this. We put it out in the short, and many people don't want to understand the accuracy of the point that you were making. Falling inflation doesn't mean falling prices because inflation is expressed as a rate and prices are at a level. So current price levels suck because of that long red run-up, but current inflation rates are, are pretty under control. If you look over the last six months, we are close, very close to the Fed's target of, of 2%. That doesn't mean you should be happy with, with what prices are at. Uh, I took my nephew to lunch today and we went in and had a $32 for the two of us fast food lunch. So that's not going away. That's not, not ever gonna go away and that's not fun. But uh, it's, it's important to note. So just kind of closing the loop here, Jeb, where are rates at right now? Mortgage News Daily has it at 7.32. Freddie Mac, we've talked about is out of date, but it's still pretty accurate because not a lot of movement in the last week, 7.44. FHA is around 6.65. Um, Optimal Blue, I threw this in here also. Optimal Blue has the 30-year a little lower, FHA a little bit higher. And then I wanted to just throw, Optimal Blue has a really cool chart that we can look at. So you can see we peaked up just a hair under 8%. Uh, the blue line is conventional. The purple line is FHA, but they have us back down about 7.2. But again, remembering back here as recent as February, that was under 6%. It was 5.98, something along those lines. So that's been a pretty wide range that we've seen this year from just under 6 to just almost 8%. So as we, we project and think forward to what 2024 is going to bring, that will be the, the interesting thing to watch. Now, and going back to your point earlier, I mean, kind of mentioning what I was talking about a bit inflation is that the idea that Josh went and paid $32 for lunch today, right? Inflation took those prices higher. Now, what people get confused about is because his, his lunch never gets any less expensive, they think inflation remains a problem. No, the, the, that's a price at that point. So that's the new price. Inflation would be a problem if that lunch became $34 or $36 or $40 the next time right? The rise in, in the prices continuing to go up, the rate of change, which Josh mentioned, is, is what people get confused about with, with the price. The idea that prices are, quote unquote, stabilizing to some degree uh, means that inflation is coming down. So 
you know, again, it's not like we sit here and need to prove ourselves on it, but it's, it's understanding the definition of what it truly means versus just going and putting your opinion out online when you truly have no idea what you're talking about. So with that said, Josh, on the bigger and brighter things, we, this last week, we filmed an episode on the Educated Home Buyer podcast with Mary Habib. I will say in, I don't know how many episodes we've done, 100? Have we done 100 episodes yet? 52? Uh, 91. That was episode okay. 91. So 91 episodes. This is the most, the most comments I think we've had on a video with saying how good the information was. Um, and, and not because of you and I, Sad, sadly, we talked less on that than any episode we've ever done, but because of what Barry brought to the table. So if you haven't done that, go over to the educated home buyer podcast, listen to that video. It's on YouTube. Uh, if you like it, you know, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Um, and if you're, you know, more of a audio listener, um, and you're hearing this for the first time on the podcast channel, you can also catch that episode. It's uh, number 49 of season two so go check it out and with that said josh before we dive into any questions uh you know it's asking that favor of, of liking and subscribing here too if you're finding any value in tonight's episode um we're gonna see tonight if me working from my home office that also has fiber optic uh frontier creates less problems on the network there josh i mean this let's, could be the true see. test yeah you, you may you're just you're just trying to work from home permanently going <laughs> That'd be great, actually. Uh, no, it wouldn't. I actually, I actually enjoyed. It. It's funny. I could have the same setup at home as I have in the office, and I would be ten times more effective in the office than I would be at home. Even if I never got up from the desk, it's just the the flow, like having things in the right places. It's it's weird. So, um, and if you're watching this or listening to this later, there will be a link to all the slides that we mentioned earlier in the episode as well. So, Josh, we started off tonight with uh, some some ridiculous comments, but you know, there, there's one comment in here that I'm going to put up, uh, uh, you know, that, that kind of answered that. And the only reason I'm doing this is because um, it's, it's, it tells the truth of, of what happened. So we got a comment basically saying that, um, that we're clowns for, you know, basically educating home buyers. But nevertheless, um, this comment says, the only clowns are the crash boats who lost their followers tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars by telling them not to buy back in 2021. And he goes on to say, Jeb didn't forecast rates accurately, but he did give the best advice for buyers back in 2021. I would say that's true, right? I, I was wrong on rates um, for an extended period of time just because I didn't think rates could get as high as they did for as long as they did with all of the other factors going on. Clearly, I was you know wrong about that. But since 2020, Josh, prior to 2020, I mean, the channel really started in 2020, um, growing like it is in 2020. But prior to that, you can go back and watch videos prior to that, talking about home ownership, why it's important, you know, when you should pay attention to what you should do. And we've been talking about that ever since. So, you know, it just, again, it's a track record. It's, it's proven. We're not here fly by night, just telling you one thing one day and something else the next. So Jeb, I think it's funny that they actually accused you of being the one who said, and first of all, people never actually um, come back and remember correctly said, you said that rates would never go above 4%. You never said anything of the sort. I said that if rates got to 5%, we would have a problem, a big problem. So I don't see it going that way because the government would have a problem in terms of their debt service. And they have, it's taken longer than, than we thought, but they, they have and will continue to have a problem unless rates moderate. But the secondary piece is says, people will not be able to afford at those numbers and sellers will have to sell at a lower price. And that has been horrifically wrong. And what I failed to account for in that is that sellers will just go on strike. And so, yes, we have reduced demand as we expected, but there is also reduced supply. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of along those lines, Jeb, we've seen now over the last three to four weeks, rates have moderated and gone back in time to about the September level. Well, what we've seen over those last three weeks is that we have had increasing mortgage applications every week. And we're not talking about a huge move. We're about a half percent, maybe three quarters of a percent. And every week, not a, a stampede of mortgage applications coming in, but they've ticked up every week. And one of the things that Barry said in that episode is the numbers show that for every 1% decrease in interest rates, 5 million more people become eligible to buy. It doesn't mean that they all will go and buy, but people that, that uh, are not homeowners, 5 million more could afford a home. And that's what we've been saying as they moderate and come back down, demand will increase. So I, I'm not saying that we're going to have um, 
any rapid uh, appreciation due to this increased demand because supply will probably come back in into play with that. But these are the numbers. No one knows what the future holds. We analyze the data, we look and use the experience of 27 years, 25 years of having done this and say, what is most likely to come next? So um, I'll stand behind anything we've said. There were valid reasons for it and it, it is what it is. And we show up here every week and analyze the data as it unfolds. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Uh, um, and, and the reality is we're not just shooting from the hip. We're basing it off data in, in all of this stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's uh, it's an interpretation interpretation of the data that that's incorrect or, um, you know, misled in in how we represent it or how we think the government might react because of their, you know, ongoing issues that they can't resolve. But nevertheless, let's uh, let's dive into some questions here, as we always do. Um, one question here, just kind of starting the episodes, ask, is it true when selling your home, you don't have to spend one dollar out of pocket? Someone is telling me so, and that all seller costs are taking, taken out of the proceeds of sale. I would say that's a pretty accurate statement um, for the most part. Typically speaking, um, you can pay anything that goes with the sale of your home through the proceeds of escrow. Now, with that, if you decide to do any repairs to your property because there's some negotiation or what have you and say, say Josh is buying my house and Josh wants me to fix the flooring or fix the kitchen or whatever. And I say, yes, I'll do that. Well, that contractor might say, I want to get paid now. Like, I don't want to wait for your escrow to close for me to get my money. Whereas most people are pretty cool with it. Um, like I just closed on my house. I had some termite work done. Um, that all got paid through escrow. I don't think I really came out of pocket. Well, actually I did because I did some repairs prior to closing, but um, for the most part, yeah, it's a pretty accurate statement. So um, but, but on the buying side, right, there's there's costs that are involved that, you know, inspections, appraisal, some of those things that do have to be paid out of pocket. But on the selling side, you're all good. Um, Josh, when it comes to this question, we get this one a lot. In fact, I was going to make a video on this question by itself because of my recent experience. And I've talked about it before. But the question is, how accurate is the Zillow home estimate, the Zestimate, Josh? So. You know, I know you don't deal with this quite as much, but I'll let you kind of start. I'll, I'll give my opinion as well. My answer is always, it depends. And let's use a couple of exa examples of properties that I own. The units over in Long Beach, it's pretty darn accurate. It's usually within 5%. So I, on a, a million something but it's a million something property. I, I think that's fairly reasonable. It, it usually has about a million 50. I think we'd get a little over a million one if we sold it, but it's units. And it's in a, a very mixed neighborhood. So my house, Jeb, it's tracked home. You should be able to nail that, right? Well, in our tract, it's unique for Huntington Beach. In just that square block, there's four different builders. And each one, there's one that's bigger and newer. There's one that is slightly smaller and slightly inferior, but pretty darn similar. And then older and fairly significantly inferior. And that throws the model off. My home in size is more similar to the older, more inferior homes. So it always underestimates us by a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's, that's a big number. That's more than 10%, 15% off. Um, the other one that's always interesting, our place out in Rancho Mirage, there's 850 units in the complex. One out of every four is a model match to ours. You would think that that model would get that pretty accurately as probably every month a model match to ourselves. And because ours is highly upgraded, and since the 70s, when those were built, many have been upgraded, many sell and they're actually original. That model is, is just horrifically off. So it estimates us probably 200 to 250,000 low on an 800,000, $700,000 property. It's like 30% off. So when I say it depends, it really depends. I see areas that are super homogenous tract homes that it gets pretty darn close. And I also see things like mine that, uh, to me, if it gets it within 5%, that's close. And it only has one out of the three in there accurate to that. So it, it depends on how homogenous it is, how unique the home is. It does it have more land than others. So it, it can be very close to very far off. But you have different insights from listing homes and seeing this estimate before right. and after you list it. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, what Josh said is extremely accurate. And what I like to say on top of what Josh said is, use it as a tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. It's not your only tool, right? You have hammers, you have screwdrivers, you have wrenches. It's one of the tools, um, but don't rely solely on it to make decisions because like Josh said, 
there can be big differences in same properties. Now, where, where I find them somewhat accurate is more in condo style listings, uh, where there are tracks, I mean, uh, model matches to properties, square footages are the same. You don't have to really deal with land so much in, in, in you know, the same style of property within the same track. If there's a lot of sales in there, it's pretty accurate. Where if there's not and it's pulling from other locations, what it can't tell the difference is if something's on lease land, if something backs to a major street, if something has a view versus not, if something is upgraded versus not. And some of those things can add hundreds of thousands of dollars to the value of a home. Take, for example, something that's on lease land versus not. Well, if it's comparing two properties, it's going to probably say that the value of the lease land properties are significantly higher because it doesn't know how that land plays into the resale of that home. So all it can do is take data, data points, right, of other properties and kind of compare them. And what it tries to do is find similar properties with uh, similar bedroom count, bathroom count, similar square footages in, a, in an area. Can't factor all the other stuff in. And what the last thing I'll say about this is when I went to list my house, this estimate, so my house I thought was worth about one three uh, um, when I sold it. When I went to this estimate to put it online, it told me that the house was worth, I think, a million two oh nine. I said, okay, I already knew what would happen in this. So I screenshotted this. I haven't done a video on it yet, but I screenshotted the value of what it said. I went online, listed my home in the MLS at a million three. So as soon as it hit Zillow, guess what Zillow does? Zillow then changes their estimate on my home to a million three. Why? Because I listed it at a million three. If I would have listed it at a million two fifty, it would have changed it to a million two fifty. So you've got to be careful in using that if if it's your only tool, right? That's where you need an agent to come in and, and help guide you through that process. So I'm not going to dive into it a lot here, but that's the reality is it can be used. Sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not. Jim, I want to close the loop on that because what I will yeah. hear many times, I just had this two months ago, how they buy a out of a sale. Because she says, hey, let me know as soon as the appraisal's in. I don't think the home is worth what we agreed to pay. And if the appraisal comes in, I don't think we're going to buy it. I go, where'd you get the information? Well, Zillow has it $50,000 low. And it was like a five fifty purchase. So about 10% low. She makes the offer. It was a, a new to market property. It hadn't been sitting around for months. The appraisal comes in at value. And she still backed out because she was convinced because this estimate said it wasn't worth that. That's insanity. An appraiser will always know more. A professional realtor that knows the area and is, is using accurate comps will always know more than an algorithm that's valuing every home in the United States every day. Good stuff. Um, question coming in from Rod saying, with a half day on Friday, due to holiday, Josh, uh, mortgage rates will pretty much stay the same as today, asking a question. You know, is, is there any news coming out on, because they already did jobless claims today, because that would normally come out on Thursday. Um, is there any data coming out on Friday that we're, that would be a surprise to the market. So here to, to support that, the two services that you and I follow most closely, MBS Highway and MBS Live. Uh, MBS Live is not doing any updates on Friday, even though we got a half day. Uh, MBS Highway, they're not doing a market video. They'll do a brief text update in the morning and that will be it. So that tells you that the your, your question and your premise is pretty much accurate. But I will say this, on these weird short days with short trading volume, we talk about it at the end of the year, we talk about it in the summer when traders are on vacation. You can get weird swings. I would have to go back. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but we had a Friday, a Black Friday, where there was a big pop up in, in rates, in yields on the 10-year treasury. For the most part, remember that the capital markets desk that is setting the rate sheet, these guys are experienced. They've been around. They look at that and they go, that doesn't make sense. There was no news. There was nothing that came out. A couple of rogue traders dicking around with the market uh, on a Friday. So they don't necessarily price to that. And sure enough, Monday, we were right back where we were on the Wednesday. So you are correct, but you can see some weird stuff. It generally won't filter through to rate sheets unless it continues through to Monday. Yeah, and the same thing I'll say about that is like when you have less traders trading a market, it can swing it, right? I mean, basically what you're saying there is that, you know, fewer traders can can direct a market um, in, in environments like this. And But once, you know, the, the real people come back, um, you, you start to see more, more accurate trading. That's why you see a lot of volatility in the summer months um, in the stock market for one. Um, Nicole has a good question here. Josh says, if I opened a HELOC on my departing property, how long should I wait to apply for a mortgage? I will rent the current one out. Very small balance on the HELOC. Want option to have funds to purchase in Reno. So what, what's, what's your thoughts on that? So 
for the most part, it is not an issue at all. Funny thing, the story I just told you, the person who backed out of that home in, in Nashville, they ended up buying another home and their down payment came from a HELOC. We closed that HELOC 60 days ago. The new lender knows that that was done owner occupied. So they don't necessarily want to do a new owner occupied mortgage for you two months after you did an owner occupied mortgage. I've never had a problem on a HELOC with that. So from, from that perspective, I, I wouldn't worry about the timeline of it. Um, you're just going to show your HELOC agreement so they can calculate a payment with the money that you take out and count it in your debt to income ratio. But the timing of it should not be an issue for you. All right. Good stuff. Uh, Jay homeboy, it's been a while says if selling a home with a certain number of years, deaths inside a home is something to disclose. What about having the miracle of life happen? Home birth. Is that something to disclose? So no. Uh, um, so here in the state of California, if someone passes away in a property within the last three years, it's your duty to disclose that as a seller. Um, if you're aware of it, right. I mean, you probably would be aware of it if you live there, but um, yes, you're, you're supposed, supposed to do that for three years. Now, after three years, one day, not really your duty to, to disclose it. I have different, I have mixed feelings on it. I, I, I'm one of those people that if you know, you should probably just say it, whatever, but there's people out there that says, nope, it, it, I don't have to, I'm not going to. So, um, that's that side. Other States are different in how they, um, you want you to disclose certain things as far as people being born. There's, there's nothing, um, that, that needs to be mentioned on that front. So you can have a home birth, you could, you know, by accident or on purpose and no one needs to know. So there you go, Josh, you can, you can birth someone in your home, Josh, and, you know, just set it up like a hospital. What if we have like a, a DV assault? What if I say something wrong and my wife beats me? Do we have to disclose that if, if I was assaulted in my home? Does that get, do we get away with that? I mean, if your wife's going to stay in the home with the new owners, you might want to mention it just because she could be violent. Um, no, in all reality, I don't know. You're, you're good. You're good. Uh, but there is a website. I think it's crimereports.net, crimereports.net, where you can go in, and check out like your neighborhood to see like police calls and that sort of thing. And it'll show like aggravated assault. It'll show battery. It'll show like things that your neighbors probably don't want you to know. It'll report on there. Um, so if you're one of those curious people that like to figure out what's going on with so-and-so, you saw the police, go to that website and check it out. Um, Jonathan, I'm always curious as to how the world of housing market YouTube is going. Is it hard or easy? I'm thinking of getting into it. So Josh, you don't really do a lot of housing market videos, but what are your, what's your perception of it? If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Let's just say that. I do a lot of this live video with you. I don't do a lot of the individual video that you do. And let's talk about, Jeb, what, what are the reasons for that? Time takes time. You got to prep. You have to record. You have to be good on video. You either have to edit yourself or hire an editor. Then let's use another example here. Jeb, I was late editing the podcast episode this week, so I got to be the one to upload it to YouTube. Um, I've uploaded videos to YouTube before on, on a scale of one to 10, how good of a job did I do? Yeah, you're five, you're five, 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 yeah, because they had to be there are, there's probably 50 things in there that the average person doesn't know. They say, well, I, you know, I took some family reunion video and I threw it up on YouTube pretty easy, but the things that you need to know, like it's, it's like anything else. When you see someone do it from a distance, it looks easy. Hey, I talk, Hey, I can make a video. Hey, I know some things. That's just the tip of the iceberg. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. That's not to say that you can't. It's not, there's no, no part of no. that is spectacularly difficult. It's the aggregate of all of it that has to be done. It, 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 discount. I, I will say that the hardest part of any of it is the consistency and the ability to repeat yourself continuously and not get over it. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, you're constantly talking about the same things over and over again. And, and if you're somebody that takes offense to negativity, to comments, I would tell you, um, you're in for, you know, a world of, uh, of displeasure out there on the internet. It is, you know, I, I fortunately don't, don't get caught up in it. I can laugh at a lot of this stuff. Um, but if I were somebody that got offended easily, it would be, it would be difficult, but you know, send me an email. I'm happy to to share you, share my thoughts. But what I would say is it's definitely possible. It's not easy. 
takes a lot of work. Um, it's, I, I do, I spend as much time on this as I do on anything else. So it's, uh, and it doesn't pay quite as well um, as selling real estate. So just so you know. Uh, let's see here. Name. Name got $20,000 in credit card debt through multiple cards, but I have two houses. Should I open a HELOC and pay it off? So Josh, we talked about credit card debt last week, currently pushing 25%, 26% on some of these cards with where the Fed funds rate is. Um, depending on, I mean, only 20K, so it's not a huge amount, but I think the example you used was like, 15k or 20k and it was another three or four hundred dollars a month and just well interest payments just just look at it the interest at 25 percent on twenty thousand is five thousand dollars for the year so yep. 400 and change just in interest to tread water four hundred dollars a month in interest so let's say we convert that to a heloc plus or minus 10 percent right now and likely to decrease as the fed starts decreasing rates at some point in the next one to two years so 10 percent it's two thousand dollars a year it's 170 $160 a month, somewhere along those lines. You're talking a $250 a month savings. It is significant. Um, someone had pointed out here in the comments fairly accurately that it doesn't matter whether it's tied to the house or not in that if you don't pay it, um, I don't know that I've ever seen a credit card creditor go after someone's, a homeowner's home equity, um, which they certainly could and would if you attach it to a home equity line of credit. But if you try to discharge that credit card through a bankruptcy, you can be disallowed from bankruptcy if you have too much equity in your home. So again, I've never seen it, but there is a possibility of a credit card creditor coming after you uh, and getting a judgment, attaching it to your home, getting after home equity. Um, so I wouldn't pay much attention to the switch from unsecured debt to secured debt. I would focus on, you're looking at a couple hundred dollars a month savings. If you just allocated that extra amount, you know, that $225, $240 extra a month, you're going to knock down, you know, $2,500, $3,000 of that debt annually above and beyond what you would. So I would do it, um, but it's 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 definitely a, a unique situation in that rates on credit cards are so high, right? Yeah, and something to keep in mind is you're probably going to have a hard time getting just a $20,000 equity line, right? I think you're probably going to, if you're going to do it, get it for more than you probably want, um, just so it's there in case you need it. Um, cause it's not going to cost you any more to get a, a larger amount. Now, if you're one of those people that go out and spend money just because you have it available, then you might need to reconsider the whole thing, but, uh, just, just some thoughts on that front. Um, Cammy is considering a job offer, uh, wondering if anyone has advice on salary percent increase that makes moving worth it. What would prefer to keep this new place as a rental, but if I, but if I have to bail. Um, okay, so Josh, we talked about what? Wages annually at the moment increasing somewhere between three to 5%. Um, so- And jo job know, leavers, I think are still at seven to 8%. So still above so, that pace. Yeah, so so the question is, you know, without knowing all the details, very, very difficult question to answer. Um, but how do you approach this? Like, how do you approach the idea of keeping a property versus- you know, selling it when, when taking on a new job, new decisions, that sort of thing. There's a lot of questions in here. It's just for two yeah. sentences. That's a, there's a lot to that advice on salary percentage increase to make moving worth it. There's more than just the additional money. Um, how long have you been at your current place? How happy are you at that current job? How secure are you in that current job? One big thing, if we go back two years, the whole thing was quiet quitting, people leaving jobs, the employees have all of the power. Well, if you were the last one in and you're making 20 more per 20 percent more than your coworkers, you're also likely to be the first one out if and when we do hit a dip. So those are all the things that I would be weighing. Then you have the secondary part of, um, you know, I, I would like to keep the new place as a rental, but if I have to, I'll, I'll bail on it. Okay. What does, what does the cash flow look like? Talked to a client yesterday that just bought last year and they want to keep it. And they put a fairly decent sized down payment. But even at that, they were going to be slightly upside down on a monthly basis and they were not comfortable with being landlords. So after a 30 minute conversation of going through that, they're like, yeah, I don't think we want to do that. I didn't come to that conclusion. I just helped them walk through the questions they needed to answer. And they answered for themselves on the call. So you have sort of that confounding factor. Answer all of the things first about the job. And then secondly, how does the real estate play into that? And it can be a deciding factor one way or the other if you think the move is worth it. What are your thoughts, Jeb? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, 
it's, you've got to be able to decide what that percentage is. We can't answer that for you, right? I mean, how much more is your mortgage payment going to be on the new move versus what it is now? Um, and then how much is that new job going to provide salary-wise? And what's that going to look like budget-wise? Like, there's some things that you have to do there um, as far as budgeting goes that we can't really help you with, I think, in order for you to be able to make that decision. But just make sure you're considering all of those components um, in addition to job security, making sure you have additional money at the bank just in case things don't go quite as planned. Um, Josh, what's the quickest you've ever closed a loan? From we had one. Finish. We had one that was supposed to close last Friday that the sellers were not ready. We were ready to push the button and fund it on Friday. The sellers were not ready, and that would have been ten days. So from the previous Monday to the following Friday, by law, the fastest you can do it is eight calendar days. So to make all of the required legal disclosures and waiting periods, it cannot be done any faster than eight calendar days. For us, that would have been 11 calendar days. I don't know that I've done one on the eighth day. We've got 10, 11 days, and it requires a lot of things. Motivated sellers, um, uh, that one we had an appraisal waiver, so we didn't have to wait for an appraisal. We were like, the immediate underwrite came out and we had two conditions. We needed their homeowner's insurance and they were asking for a bank statement that the, the underwriter missed, we had already provided. So the insurance was already in that morning. So we sent them over to the underwriter. She signed everything off. We had an appraisal waiver. It was literally clear to close. So that is, is kind of what it takes. A seller ready to go, you being well-qualified with a complete file, and the lender being on it. Like we, our process is we get a contract in, we reach out immediately to escrow. With that, we wanna get their fees in and we will disclose same day if we can get those before like two, three o'clock. Once those disclosures go out, we're gonna order your appraisal and we're gonna submit. So the second day we're submitting to the lender. Right now, most lenders are anywhere from one to three days in underwriting. So that's where you're at. And it depends on how clean that approval comes out, how quickly it can get done. So if you're on it, seller's motivated, and you're working with a motivated lender, you can get them done pretty quickly, but everyone has to be on the same page. All right. Um, so Rod asked a question, uh, following up to the question that we got earlier about home equity line to pay off credit cards. So his response is a loan consolidation is better, right? Versus a HELOC. So Josh, what are your thoughts on loan consolidation and how does what's that affect your credit? What's, what's the interest rate? You know, Generally, you're gonna get a better rate on a HELOC because it is secured by the home. So if we're saying you're at 25 on a credit card and we have a 10% HELOC or a 15% consolidation loan, I would do the HELOC. But I certainly understand someone saying, no, I want lower interest, but I don't want something attached to my home. From a credit perspective, one is, is open-ended, that, that HELOC in terms of it's, it's semi-revolving, it's sort of a hybrid between installment and revolving debt. The, a fixed rate consolidation, an unsecured consolidation is going to be an installment loan. So they all can help your credit scores, your credit in general. Um, it just comes down to what's most important to you, uh, tying something to your home or having the lowest interest rate. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What time is it, Josh? What time is 5.42? So I'm going to ask if you haven't done so already, hit the thumbs up. Um, if you find any value tonight. Also, if you have a question, put it in the comments so that we can get to it before the show ends. We do this an hour, essentially every Wednesday from 5 to 6 Pacific Standard Time. So if you listen to this on the podcast, make sure you, you know, if you want to get your questions submitted, 
You can do it one of two ways. You can email it to us and we're happy to do that. Or you can show up here and ask it. And we're, there's a really good chance that we'll get it answered for you. And also Josh, if, you know, we often get people asking about connecting with you, connecting with a lender, a real estate agent across the U.S. There's a link scrolling in the description below that will get you in touch with somebody that can guide you through that process. So if you do have questions, you need some help, check out that link. So Josh. And, and Jeb, before you do that, I would say, even if it's for a second opinion, you had someone reach out in a comment on either your video or on the, the podcast this week saying, hey, just got under contract and I got quoted what I thought was a really high rate, 8.625. And I think oh, yeah. she said she had a 700 credit score. So yeah, 760 or something. Even if it's just for a second opinion, I tell people, I don't say it comes up often, but I've told people many times, you're in good hands. That's a very good rate. If you're happy with that person, you're already halfway down the path, finish that up. So use that link, even if it's just a matter of saying, hey, I'm not sure where I'm at. I don't know if I'm getting the best deal. I don't know if I vibe with this person. Um, it's, it's a good way to just get a second opinion and make sure you're on the right track. All right, good stuff. So back to Landavardi. Landa Verdi, uh, junior, by the way, uh, asking, are we expecting prices to rise in the first quarter? Josh, what are your thoughts on prices rising? Well, here, I want to, I want to do something here. We have, we have two comments that have already answered this for us. Aware 24 says homes will continue to go up. It's a limited asset that's in demand. Everybody wants one. Everybody don't lie to yourself. But then we have, uh, another one here, Jacqueline here saying, I absolutely do not believe house prices will jump by 15%, but will decrease due to inventory increasing as homeowners are unable to afford the houses that were purchased, even at low interest rates. So we see a ton of, of both of these opinions. They both mention demand, supply and demand. Um, the reality of it is, Jeb, that we have greatly reduced demand because there are a few people that can afford I am in a unique position that I get to see people all day, every day, reaching out saying, I want to buy a home. I can tell you that less of them qualify today than at any point in the last 10 years since I've been doing this because prices are high, rates are higher than we've seen in 20 something years. So from that perspective, there's truth that there is reduced demand, but we also have this lock-in effect. We also have 15 years of underbuilding and we do not have enough supply for those people. So when we say what's going to happen in the first quarter, I'm less confident about what's going to happen in the first quarter versus the rest of next year. I expect next year will look very similar to this year. Maybe not quite as much appreciation. Where are we at, Jeb? Like 4%-ish, 4.5%-ish? Yeah. Barry in that episode last week was quoting projections saying 4.8% nationwide projected for next year. Um, that sounds aggressive. So the reason why I would say first quarter, what do I think is going to happen? Well, a lot of the things that are going to be closing here at the end of the year, first quarter of the year are going to be reflective of those higher interest rates. So like literally the worst point for affordability, the worst point probably for demand, just that time of year, we showed the chart, you showed the chart a few weeks ago, Jeb, that median prices generally decrease in the fourth quarter of the year. And that will likely continue into the first quarter. All of the numbers that we're seeing show enough momentum that they should stay positive and have slight growth. But I'm a little dubious on what will happen in the first quarter. And the reason why I kind of showed those comments is I think anyone, when you have an opinion, a really strong opinion, make sure it's not just what you want to have happen and you're digging in mm -hmm. and looking at the actual data. You know what I'm saying? Because I would say most of those arguments that you and I hear, someone has already started with their conclusion and then they give you the reasons why their conclusion is accurate, even well, though the data is crazy. Well, I, I love the comment from the one earlier, just saying that people can't even afford the homes at, at lower rates. Like, where's that? Like, where, where does that even come from? It, 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 the comment is just your thoughts, your belief, and, and there's no accuracy to it whatsoever. The fact is those people clearly are making the payments because the number of notice of defaults isn't up, foreclosures aren't really up. I mean, so, so people are clearly able to make their payments at those low rates. So again, it's just what you want to happen versus the reality of it happening. And I don't think anyone mentioned home prices going up by 15%. The expectation of home prices going up by 15% is crazy. Um, and, and I don't think that there's a possibility that could happen based off of where we are with affordability. Uh, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think prices are going to go down either. I mean, I think, you know, because of how they calculate the data year over year, um, the numbers January, February, probably going to be flatter um, when looking at home price appreciation from a national standpoint. But 
What I will say is that if you're in a market with low inventory, Orange County, like where we are, you're not going to see any noticeable drop in prices. Um, you might see, depending on what you're looking at, there might be a little bit of a change, but nothing, affordability is not going to improve significantly. But I would also not expect home prices to jump significantly either. And that's why we always talk about having that longer term time horizon, just so you, you, you're giving yourself some time for things to kind of normalize in the market and, and, and get back to that longer term trend that we've seen. The most important thing you said, Jeb, is just the constant reminder that all real estate is local because there are markets that I can yeah. tell you there will be markets in the first quarter of next year that drop. There will be markets in the first quarter of next year that pop. So it, it does it matter to you what happens in Connecticut if you're in Arizona? Does it matter to you what happens in Florida if you're in Washington? It doesn't. So you need to be asking that question of an expert in your area if you're considering making decisions and not looking at national media, national figures. And a lot of times we're guilty of that. We talk about national and we talk about California because that's what we know the best. Absolutely. And and you need to understand when you're listening to people what data they're paying attention to and 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 their opinions of what's happening based on that information as well. Jeb, um, Jeb, hold, yep. hold, hold on. No, no, no. Because we just had Lucky Uranium pops up. Then that's clickbait title, question mark. And I think they're asking, they're not confusing or they're not accusing the, the title. Uh, home sales. Home sales will jump by 15% in 2024. Jeb, did you say home prices were going up by 15%? No, actually, and, and there's a there's a um, an article actually in the description of the video that talks about home sales jumping by 15%. And so where's that coming from? Well, the National Association's real uh, chief economist, Laura June, is expecting interest rates to come down in 2024. And because of that, because of those lower rates, he expects home sales to jump by 15%. So we're talking existing home sales here, Josh. And at the moment, we're trending somewhere around 3.7 million for the year of 2023. So if we see a jump of 15%, we're just going to be over 4.2 or so million, which is still a significantly low number when compared to previous years. So um, 15%, guys, is not a big number when you have such a low bar like we have right now. Jeb, you just said something really, really important. That's not a low bar. Next year, all of the numbers year over year are going to look really good because 2023 is the first full down year. So let's say that you were wrong and it's not 15% or Lawrence Union wrong. It's not 15%. It's 25%. Even if we hit 25%, it's still four and a half million. That's not a great number. So we're going to see, just like we've seen headlines in the past that are misleading because they're talking about a percentage change. The percentage change is far less important than the absolute levels. Um, we are near as low as we can go on sales volume. So the numbers are going to start looking better from that perspective. Does that mean things have changed? Does that mean everything is perfect? No. But again, we are on record that we think the normal or the, the nominal level of rates where they should be is lower than where they are today. And if it's lower than where they are today, we will have more sales volume and we will have appreciation. Doesn't mean we'll have a healthy market. Doesn't mean we'll have a ton of sales volume. And doesn't mean we'll have massive appreciation. Good stuff. And lucky Uranium came back and said, thank you for clarifying. So um, good stuff there. Uh, I, I thank you for pointing that out because I was wondering where the 15%. Me too. The whole thing came from. I now realize that the confusion was the the title of the video and not that um, directly. So, and then we got people in here. Um, so Alpha Car says that uh, the real estate mindset channel was talking crap about Dude, I don't care. That's the best part is who is he? I, I, I don't know. And, and quite frankly, don't care. I mean, the thing is like when you, if somebody asked earlier about a YouTube channel, how if like, it, how is it? The reality is when you understand the data and you have your opinions, right? And, and some of my opinions are wrong. Some of them are strong, right? I mean, you have opinion, you either stand for something or fall for everything, right? There's that kind of um, mentality in, in, in having a, what I will call like, a voice out here. Um, and, and so we talk about real estate being important and the long-term generational benefits. And then there's people that truly just don't get it um, and don't understand data. They don't understand anything. They're just idiots, morons, whatever term you want to use. You can throw the people that talk crap in, in, in that category for me. I don't, I don't care. It's all good. I, I'm, I sleep well at night. In fact, well, I, I I sleep really well at night. I mean, almost too well to some extent. 
go go back to the the original question about hey how how is uh real estate youtube doing well the easy way to build a channel is just talk crazy shit oh, absolutely doom and, doom and gloom manipulate numbers and if you're just bringing real numbers and talking about what's really actually happening boring mundane stuff that actual home buyers want to know versus sensational clickbait crazy oh my god the world just fell off a cliff again and go back a year to those video titles like literally you can't you can't say oh my god the house is on fire every day for a year and the house has never been on fire but you can and people believe it and and that's what it gets the the videos i mean so when i talk about it being boring and you have to be willing to repeat yourself that's why because the data doesn't change as much as people come out with videos talking about the world ending on youtube so um yeah that's enough about that but i i appreciate you guys letting me know but quite frankly don't care um Jeb, Josh, yeah. this is a question. Yeah, go ahead. It's a, it's a, it's a really good one. I, I like it. What is the best way to make a distinction between those terms, mortgage default and foreclosure? Mm -hmm. Foreclosure is what happens at the end of default. Default means I am not living up to the terms of my mortgage agreement. I did not make my payment. I could be 30 days late. I could be 90 days late. I could be five years late. Foreclosure is the process that takes my home from me. So I could be in default for six months and the lender does not have to even start the foreclosure proceedings. They can start the foreclosure proceedings and in a non-judicial non -judicial foreclosure state like California, it could be 120 days from start to finish done. You could be in a state like Florida that's a judicial foreclosure and it takes five years. So we're not seeing, we could show that chart. Maybe we do that next week, Jeb, show the charts of all of the different stages, you know, 30 days delinquent, 90 days delinquent, seriously delinquent and actually in the foreclosure process and what's being done there. At no point in that process is there any distress, any. No, no, I agreed. And, and even with that, like you can take somebody that has a notice of default, um, has mortgage default, and they can come current back on it so that it never forecloses. So, you know, you'll often see websites like Zillow and some of these that show pre-foreclosure. What is a pre-foreclosure? Pre-foreclosure is somebody that's behind on their payments. They've noticed it in, in title records saying, okay, there's been an NOD file. That's a notice of default. So, hey, we're, the lender's aware, of course they're aware, but made it aware to, to public record that, hey, we're filing this. And, and therefore, these websites pick it up as, okay, this is, uh, has the potential for a foreclosure at some point in the future. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean it will result in foreclosure. I've seen people go in and out of default for years. People like really won't make their payments for four or five, you know, months and then they'll make the payments, Jeb, get it back out of default and then do it again over and over again. There was a house here on main street that I watched for 13 years. It was in it's and crazy. out of default for 13 years. So, um, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you something is imminently going to happen, but the levels will tell you. Um, and like, I can tell you, we talked about this two, three months ago on the show. I was talking with one of our, our owners of one of the wholesale lenders that we work with. And they're just saying like the only people that they're dealing with in foreclosure right now are people that were in foreclosure pre COVID that already had problems. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the government in all forms, whether it's FHA, VA, USDA, Fannie, Freddie is basically saying, do not foreclose on people, give them every opportunity, try to work with it, modify the loan, modify it out to 40 years because you already have a 2% interest rate. We can't take you to a 1% rate. Let's stretch it out 40 years. That's not to say there will never be a problem with foreclosure. We won't ever see an increase in foreclosures. It's saying we will never in a million billion years see 2008 again. First of all, because the loans being done over the last 15 years look nothing like the loans being done into that time frame. But more importantly, the lenders learned that they made the problem five times worse by saying, we're not helping anyone. We're going to go in and foreclose on everybody. Their loss severity, the, the actual number of losses and the loss severity on each foreclosure was far, far worse than it needed to be. So for both of those reasons, we'll never see that volume of people in distress and we will never see the way those people were handled uh, to get them out of distress. All right, Josh, rapid fire here. We got three minutes. We got some questions. We're going to get through these. Uh, Nicole came in, asked this question earlier. Sorry, Nicole, Josh. I was going to answer this earlier, but he got rid of it. But the question is, arms are about half a percent lower on mortgage news daily. Recommend arms at the moment. Would it make sense? So here's what I'll say. Uh, I had a 30-year fix on my previous house. This house that I bought, I took a seven-year arm. Why? The rate was about half a percent less. Um, 
And I personally believe that rates at some point within the next seven years are going to be lower than they are now. And I will be in a position to refinance. I have a ton of equity in my property. I know, have an idea of where my income will be. I feel comfortable making that decision. If you're going to make that decision, you need to be comfortable knowing where your value is going to be, knowing you have job security, knowing what your income is going to be, just so that there's no issues with a possible refinance. Josh, anything you want to add to that? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. percent is about where it starts making sense. You either need to say, hey, I'm getting enough of a discount that I'm comfortable with the risk in five, seven years, or I am very confident that rates are going to be lower in the next five to seven years. If it's less than a half percent, most people are just going to say, hey, not cool, not worth it. Um, and what I will say is I would love to know where Mortgage News Daily is getting that number. I don't have any wholesale lenders that are offering a half percent discount for arms today because we still have an inverted yield curve. The short term uh, money costs as much as long term. Yeah. And, and, and last thing I'll say is that is the risk is higher on adjustable rates. You just gotta be comfortable with it. You gotta know the pros and cons, do your research before you dive into that. Uh, Omar says, I wanna buy my first home while living and working on a, in a different state. I don't plan to move soon, but I want to rent for a few years until I move. So Josh, you wanna buy a home, your first home out of state. You don't plan on moving there. Your current job is here. It's gonna have to be an investment property, I assume, uh, which means 20, 25% down. Is that what we're talking about? Well, now we have the 5% down option, right? 5% in investment properties, even even on, well, owner, owner-occupied owner units. I was, I was confusing the two to four units, owner-occupied. So single family, non-owner, you can do as little as 15% down. But um, like the easy button used to be that you could do it as a second home. You could say, hey, I rent here, but I want to own a home off in this market. And if you qualify with getting hit with the full payment plus your rent in the current market, you could do that. But as of early last year, we have the same rates on second homes and investment properties. So you're looking at 15% down, harder to qualify. There are some restrictions on people who don't own their primary residence. They're not super restrictive. So you should still be able to do it, but you're gonna have a higher interest rate and a bigger down payment. All right, easy one here. Benzo says, what's better, ARM or fixed rate? I think a fixed rate is a better loan for most people. Um, ARMS can be okay for people that don't have a longer term time horizon in a property, plan on the moving, plan on selling, whatever. Better is is a relative word, so you got to figure out what that means for you. But I think overall, better is is fixed for most people that are asking that question. Um, Josh, you know, Daff asked the question before you sell: What at dates should you do on a home? How much should you? How much should one spend to get the house ready for selling? So I guess that's more of a question for me. What I would say is focus on the things that are uh, visual. Um, the things that draw attention. Most people look at kitchens and bathrooms as as the primary um, things they want upgraded in a property. And typically those are the more expensive things to upgrade. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to do it. You know, during the pandemic, I was telling people, don't do anything, right? People will just buy your house the way it is and pay a premium for it because there's absolutely no inventory. So understand the market, understand what inventory looks like. What I would say is talk to a local agent in your market Look at houses, you know, that are like yours that have been upgraded. What has been done? How much more are those selling for versus your home and figure out what it costs to get it like that. Does it make sense to spend that money to net X amount more? What I will tell you is oftentimes, you know, the money you spend isn't necessarily going to net you that much more money. Um, so if you spend $30,000 on a kitchen, doesn't mean you're going to get $30,000 out of the house, right? It might bring more buyers. It might help it sell quicker, but you got to figure that out. So talk to somebody in your market, real estate's local, figure out what's happening there and let them guide you through that process. Because me coming at it from what I know here in Southern California might be different than your market. So anything add to that, Josh? No, just to double down on what you just said, different markets are different. I have a buddy that invests in Pennsylvania and for them, a full renovation is paint and linoleum and you know Home Depot carpet. So it varies largely by the area that you're in. Yeah, no, no, good stuff. Um, Josh, this is a, a softball to you. You've answered this question more times than I can count. Uh, but what is the formula 
that you use to determine if it's time to refinance. Take $125,000, divide it by your loan amount, and that percentage, that fraction will tell you how much you need to save. So $125,000 divided by $125,000 loan is one. So you need to save 1%. If you have a $500,000 loan, it's a quarter percent. You need to save a quarter percent. If it's a million dollar loan, it's an eighth of a percent. So it varies by the size of your loan. And even at a million dollars, while financially the monthly savings can be enough at an eighth, most people say the headache, hassle, effort of signing docs, restarting my loan process, getting a new servicer, all that stuff isn't worth it. So I would say even on the bigger loans, you want to be saving at least a quarter percent. But financially, when you run the numbers, take 125000 divide it by your loan amount, calculate out the payment at that new lower interest rate, and you'll probably look at it and go, yeah, that's enough of a savings for me to make it, make it worth doing. So what I'm hearing you say is that, that size actually matters. Size matters. Size matters. There you go, guys. Well, that's where we're going to end it tonight. If you found any value in tonight's episode, do us a favor, hit the thumbs up, you know, share it with a friend if you like to, but go check out that, that episode that I mentioned on the Educated Home Buyer podcast with Barry. Really, really good information there, guys. Data back. It is, it is, I will say it's our be- one of our better episodes, 100%. Um, and we did very little talking. So uh, go check it out. Subscribe to that channel if you haven't so, done so already. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Josh, any final words for our viewers this evening? No, if you're going to watch that episode of the podcast or if you're going to listen to it, I would suggest getting it on YouTube. Barry does have some slides and some charts and some data in there um, that you'll probably get more out of it on YouTube than you would in the audio, even though audio is more convenient. So I am thankful for all of you showing up and asking questions, even if it's the question of how much do I need to save on an interest rate to make a mortgage refinance worthwhile. So thanks for being here. Thanks for asking questions and for uh, letting Jeb and I talk for an hour every week. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Until then, adios, amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.